Welcome to CMIO Podcast, a show devoted to educating and informing those who are making healthcare easier for others. Whether you're involved with informatics, analytics, or new technologies that make the lives of our practicing clinicians better, this show is for you. My name is Dr. Mark Weissman. I'm a practicing physician and CMIO and the host of CMIO Podcast, today covering the news to know for the week of March 23rd. So it's been an exciting week particularly for all of you who are knee deep in the coronavirus preparations or perhaps even starting to treat your first cases. Those on the West Coast are significantly affected and are well further along than others. So it's been great to see particularly University of Washington sharing all of their health IT progress that they've made, the ups and the downs, all of it. So it's been great to follow that. In terms of the news this week, it is pretty much all about coronavirus. I will discuss a little bit about telehealth. We'll talk about what the EHR vendors are up to, and I can talk a little bit about what I'm hearing out there being done in terms of preparedness. All right. So first article I'm gonna cover is President Trump expands telehealth benefits for Medicare beneficiaries during COVID-19 outbreak. That's from cms.gov, their newsroom and it's on March 17th. So what this effectively did is made telehealth a viable solution. In the past, people weren't using telehealth very much. We had our pilots, we had limited use cases. There were a few systems that really bought into it and have dedicated providers and dedicated equipment for direct-to-consumer telehealth. There are many systems that have provided to provider telehealth, particularly in the uh, neurology world. But the direct-to-consumer has really been handled by the private sector. And that's because there's just no money in it for hospitals. You get paid in the old world much more money for bringing that patient into your office and seeing them than you would through a telehealth visit. So this, with a wave of the magic wand, this rule change, has enabled you to see patients via telehealth and get paid the same as an office visit. And then they also removed the requirement that the patient had to be in a facility and the provider has to be in a facility and that that's the only way that Medicare was paying for telehealth visits, except for in some rural areas. Well, that rule is gone. So. Telehealth is now a viable solution, and we'll talk a little bit more about what hospitals are doing and some of the challenges there. The next piece of news that came out, which also came out on March 17th and relates to telehealth, is that the Office for Civil Rights, the OCR, they're the enforcement arm for HIPAA, and they came out and said, we're kind of going to look the other way, guys. Use whatever tools you need to see patients virtually. So in the past, FaceTime was kind of off limits because it wasn't felt to be HIPAA secure. That problem has been resolved as long as you're using it for good intent. I think for all of us, if we're seeing patients and doing it through FaceTime, that's the good intent that the OCR is talking about. So be more comfortable with whatever tools you have available is what the OCR is talking about and just get out there and do it, that should not be the roadblock is that you don't have a platform to use and they're trying to make that easier. Just continuing on the telehealth theme for a minute. This one's out of Healthcare IT News and this is the title is Telemedicine During COVID-19 Benefits, Limitations, Burdens, and Adoption. 
I'll just read you a few of the highlights. This is from the chief medical officer at SOC Telemed, which I assume is a third party vendor that offers telemedicine technology services. He said, we're seeing a rapid increase for on-demand acute care via telemedicine. This includes ICU programs offering intensive care for the most critical patients. However, teletriage is exploding in terms of the number of use cases that involves determining when a patient presents in the emergency department, whether they need to be issued a bed or if they can be seen in another area within the hospital in order to keep the patient safe and reduce potential exposures. Continuing on, this is a quote from the president of Dr. First, which also has a telehealth component to it. Unfortunately, providers and policymakers are playing catch up with telehealth technologies right now and are just beginning to recognize that they are essential solutions for keeping potentially infected individuals out of hospitals and doctor's offices. And goes on to talk about there's really three primary roles for telehealth right now. The first is to screen patients remotely rather than having them come to your tent or your hospital, your garage, whatever freestanding thing you set up to screen patients. You can do some of that remotely. Number two is to just practice routine medicine. And this is where our system is leading off. We're taking our cancer patients and saying, hey, don't come in. We don't want you in the waiting room with other people. Stay at home and we're going to hook up telehealth for you and you will have a visit with your doctor just like you would in the office, but it'll be through a screen. So that use case is going to be really, really viable now. And doctors getting paid for it so that they can maintain the revenue streams at the same time as taking care of the patients and keeping both parties safe from coronavirus. The third use case they identify here is that recognizing that providers and staff are not immune to infection. Some of them are going to get exposed or even sick. They're gonna be at home and then they're not particularly useful, but through telehealth, they may be able to help offload some volume, particularly from the emergency department in that triage role, or maybe even continue to see patients if they needed to from their home. So really great use cases, and I'm sure your health system is exploring them all. Now, here is a quote that I like about, well, what if you're behind the ball a little bit and you don't have telehealth already up and standing and integrated? So this quote here, a provider organization does not need best of breed technology to stand up a program quickly. However, the better the technology is, the better experience it is for the patient and the services that can be provided can be broadened. And I think that's very true. And in our organization, we do not have telehealth integrated within Epic, within my chart. And so the experience is a little bit clunkier. We're going to use perhaps WebEx and that involves sending an email to a patient a link they click the link and then they'll be brought into the conference and the doctor will have their own room and they'll be able to bring the patient in so that's not nearly as smooth as being able to pick up your phone and just hit the button and then a provider appears and you're seeing your provider virtually definitely value but these things are complicated to set up and do that build i think it's too late i think you can do it to prepare for the next epidemic or the next wave that hits. So I still think it's worth doing, but
but it's probably not going to be first on your priority right now, but it's definitely about the experience at some point. For right now, I think you're going to see that patients don't care. They just want to speak to a doctor and any way that they can do it will work for them. Encourage you that if you don't already have that integrated technology, take a look at some of these third-party vendors. Dr. First is one. Doxy.me is another. There are now just overnight probably a hundred of these. You want to go with someone who could stand you up very, very quickly within a matter of hours. This is not weeks that it takes to do this. It is literally hours, perhaps minutes, literally filling out a form and signing on the dotted line and off you go. So if you're not doing this because you're worried about whether it's HIPAA or complicated business contracts, they really have relieved all of those burdens. Those hurdles are really gone and you can move forward. One of the bigger problems though has been broadband access and systems are experiencing some difficulty, whether that's with WebEx, Zoom, or their third party product. I haven't actually heard as much problem with. It's been uh, more at the local level. I think people are having pro problems from their home. The kids are home, they're watching Netflix, they're video gaming on their Xbox and they're using bandwidth. And I think that medicine is going to be competing against those use cases. And I have heard in Europe where they asked Netflix to stop streaming at certain points in time so that they can actually have a network that's functional. So I haven't heard of such a drastic measure here. I think if they put Netflix on hold, that would like cause rioting in the streets. But Watch your bandwidth issues that could potentially be a problem, although it seems to me those issues are getting worked out over the last week. I'm seeing less of it. I'm hearing less of it from my colleague. All right, I'm going to move on to the next topic here, which is that CMS re released a recommendation to postpone non-elective surgical, dental, and ophthalmologic type procedures. And why I think this is news for CMIOs is because you now have a big chunk of your organization that was doing elective surgeries, they're maybe seeing some patients in their office, but if they can't operate on them, I think your surgeons may very well be free and looking for work to do. If you're really busy, I'm sure they'll be on the floor helping with patients. But in the meantime, these are people that might be available to train, either assist you with training or perhaps get themselves trained up if they've been weak in the EHR they may now have some time. So if you have some really strong surgeons, have them work with some of the weaker ones. And if there are people struggling with telehealth, but you've got some really strong technology-based surgeons, go ahead and take advantage of that. They're still gonna have to do trauma. I'm sure they're still doing work, but they may find that they have some time. Reach out to them. I found them to be uh, incredibly kind and generous of their time and that they are looking to just be useful during this crisis. So the next article is that CMS has announced relief for clinicians, providers, hospitals, and facilities participating in quality reporting programs in response to COVID-19. And that came out on March 22nd, that's Sunday. And I think this is an important announcement because if you're considering telehealth, well, and let's say you were tracking body mass index that's hard to do by telehealth. You're not likely to be able to capture that. And so you're worried about, am I gonna be able to do the quality programs? 
and the government's taking that off. They also recognize that during this time, you may not be focusing on preventative items or some of the routine things that, that were being measured. And they're suspending the MIPS program, it sounds like. And for the past year, the filing deadline is, I thought was sometime in, in mid-March or the end of March. They've extended that to give some people relief and have said, look, if you can't submit, you can ask for this extreme and uncontrollable circumstances that you can try to get a neutral payment adjustment for the next payment year. So don't let the quality programs that you're doing completely fall by the wayside is my advice, but I don't think you're gonna find clinicians engaging around that at this point in time. And then the EHR vendors are trying to be helpful as well. And so this is out of Healthcare IT News by Fred Bizzoli, March 20th. How EHR vendors are arming providers to handle COVID-19. So the article goes on to talk about the major EHR vendors, Allscripts, Athena Health, Cerner, eClinical Works, Epic, and Meditech, describing the activities. There are a lot of overlap here. They're doing roughly the same things. They're promoting their telehealth capabilities. They are helping the organizations by putting out dashboards that help you track patients who have been tested or persons that are under investigation, or they're tracking negative pressure rooms or the personal protective equipment. Some EHRs are able to track some supply activities as well. The parts that are of interest to CMIOs tend to be around the clinical decision support, identifying those infectious patients in the header of your EMR so that you have easy visibility as to who you should gown up for before walking into a room. And I think the EHR is not the primary tool for that. There's usually a big sticker on the door that says, stop, go gown up, and a big cart sitting outside the door with all the gowns and masks and stuff. So that's usually your bigger clue. So I'm not as worried about identifying this from the EHR. But it is important, I think, for the incident command teams that are leading to understand what's the layout, where are these patients at, are you able to centralize them, are you able to put them in the same room, double up, so that you can make more capacity. And those tools all need to be configured within your EHR. If you previously have not been able to double up, well, now you're gonna to have to have your build team create some more beds in the EHR so you can actually bed that patient. All work that the vendors are attempting to help us with, and it's much appreciated. As CMIOs, I'm sure you're engaged with your vendors around these initiatives. You're probably working on telehealth already, helping with the training for providers that are doing telehealth, helping conceptualize the systems if you don't already have them in place, probably working on order sets, note templates, dashboards, remote training programs so that you can figure out how you're going to train ambulatory providers that may not have been in the hospital in many years training them on how to use the inpatient version of your EMR so that they could help out if necessary if the volumes get to be tremendous. So plenty to keep us busy as CMIOs. Hopefully you're also being engaged at the executive level, strategic planning, incident command, staying in touch with what the organization is doing so that you can add value and help with that bridge between the clinical and the IT side. And so I will wrap it up there. I 
wish you all safety first and then from one CMIO to another, these are unprecedented times. The performance of healthcare IT is under the spotlight and as best I can see, is performing extremely well. Amazing how fast projects can get done when there's laser-like focus from operations and IT, highlighting the major things that have to get done, the things that can stop being done, and putting the priority on the patients and the safety of our providers. So wishing you a safe week. We'll talk more about the status of the coronavirus, I'm sure. That's our show for today. Thank you for listening to CMIO Podcast. I've been your host, Mark Weissman. Reach out to me on LinkedIn or go to the website at cmiopodcast.com. Send me ideas for shows, guests you'd like to hear from, general feedback or just to connect. And I look forward to bringing you our next episode.